Thank you guys for being here today. We're going to be wrapping up the series, Come to the Table, today. And we've been looking at Luke chapter 14 uh, throughout this series. But I want you guys, if you can, to, to just kind of travel back. Uh, for most of you, travel back to probably about Thursday of last week, about 1130. How many of you guys remember about 1130, where you were Thursday of last week? Many of you guys, for some of you guys, it might have been a little later in the day. But how many, most of us were, were getting ready to eat some food. How many of you guys remember that? I mean, you can, how many of you guys could smell the turkey or whatever you were cooking and, and the, the pumpkin pie? And how many of you guys like pumpkin pie? Anybody like pumpkin pie? How many of you guys love pumpkin pie, but you only have it like once a year? Is it, how many of you guys, why do we do that to ourselves, right? That's the way I am. I love pumpkin pie and I only have it like one day a year. And so just, just if you could, some of you guys are like, how many of you guys are left over out? I mean, like I'm done with all of that. But just rewind the tape if you can and just imagine the anticipation of getting a, of getting ready to feast. You know feasting is biblical from time to time. And so you're getting ready to eat and then you start to eat this wonderful meal and all of a sudden everything in, tastes like cardboard. <laughs> Have you guys know that eating is not as fun when everything tastes like cardboard, right? And the reason I say that is because what Jesus talks about at the very end of Luke chapter 14 he describes kind of a picture like that. And it's in Luke chapter 14, verse 34. It says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It, it's of no use for either the soil or the manure, manure pile. How many of you guys know Jesus just talks straight? He's like, listen, if there's salt and it doesn't taste like anything, it's not even good for the manure pile. It's just going to be tossed out and no use, thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many of you guys know that we are supposed to be the salt on the earth? In other words, we're supposed to be the flavor of heaven to this world, Right? We are supposed to be the light uh, that's shining bright on a hill, shining the light of Jesus. But what Jesus is saying here is that if you are supposed to be salt, there's supposed to be a flavor. And if there's no flavor, then there's no point. He's saying if you are salt in name only, there's no use for that. And how many of you guys know that sometimes we can become that? We can become salt without flavor. Now, I don't have to imagine too hard to imagine what it's like to have no flavor because some of you guys may or may not know this, but a few weeks ago, I actually had COVID. And so I had no taste and no smell. And which is the strangest thing ever when you take a, a bite of an onion or something and there's nothing there. You, you smell something, there's nothing there. It's like I lost seven or eight pounds during that time. I think it's because the food tastes like cardboard, man. And so the, the Jesus is saying that there's supposed to be a flavor. How many of you guys know we are supposed to have a flavor, the flavor of heaven? Salt is supposed to stand out. It doesn't blend in. Now, here's the thing. I believe the church, and I mean the, the big church, that we're all a part of is at a crossroads. We either, we have a decision, we're at a time where we can either blend in or we can be the flavor of God on this planet. We're at a crossroads and that, that applies to you and I right here, right now. We're at a crossroads where we can either blend in or we can be the flavor of God on the planet. So what I wanna talk about is three traps that I believe that Satan tries to use to steal our flavor on this planet, to try to steal away the purpose of God on the earth for us. Now, I've kind of labeled these and you might come up with a different title, but I wanna jump over to Matthew chapter 13 because Jesus tells a story and he was famous for this. He tells stories and parables that all had points and illustrations within them. 
But he tells one of the most famous stories uh, that he's ever told. And it's found in Matthew chapter 13. And it goes like this. He told them many parables. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell upon the path. And the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell on on the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, Jesus would tell these stories, but he wouldn't always tell the meaning of the stories. And so people were were trying to wonder, like, what, what is he talking about here? Well, fortunately, this time we get an inside look as to what each one of these things mean. Because Jesus took the disciples aside and he begins to explain to them what the story meant. And so if you skip down to Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, he describes the first trap or the first issue. And it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart... And this is what was sown along the path. Now, you may come up with a lot of different names and titles for what this is, but here's what I, I kind of derive out of this. is I call this the trap of apathy. See, Satan loves to get us with this trap of apathy. The, the word apathy, the definition actually means this, a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. A lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And the way that, it, I love the way that it puts it in the message version. Listen to how it puts it in the message version, this scripture. It says, study this story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears the news of the kingdom and does not take it in, it just, listen to this, it just remains on the surface. It just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of the person's heart. This, this is the seed that the farmer scatters on the road. What's Jesus implying here? He's implying that there was somebody who had the word of God that was given to them and it never went very deep. It never did the work it was supposed to do. And in fact, so much so that that whoever it came to, they weren't paying attention and it lived on the surface and the enemy just came in and just snatched it right away. And so what Jesus, it's almost like this. He's almost implying that when you're living in apathy, it's like you're sleeping in your house with an unlocked door. The enemy can come right in and take whatever he wants without you even doing a thing about it. And so apathy becomes a very powerful thing in our life. It's one of the traps of the enemy. But we may not think of apathy as very powerful when it's happening in us. Because apathy, when it's happening in us, just seems like it's not that big of a deal. It just seems like it's not very uh, powerful in our life. But when apathy happens towards you instead of in you, we can see how powerful it really is. When, when I was a youth pastor, I dealt with many teenagers who had troubled situations, and I, I, several of them. I, I encountered several teenagers who had suicidal thoughts or who had actually attempted suicide. And I would talk with parents, and I would talk with these teenagers, and I, I know this isn't always the case, but many times the teenagers that I would talk to it's not like they actually wanted to go through with it. They, they wanted to simply see if someone cared if they tried. And so that's why some people, can, some people define this. They say the opposite of love is not hate, but apathy. It's simply I don't care. And these teenagers were going through so much in their family life and so much in their school life or whatever that they just wanted to see if anyone cared about them. 
Because apathy directed towards you can be a very powerful thing. And apathy is kind of like this shrug of the shoulders, kind of like, eh, I don't really care. And when we have apathy towards God, like, eh, I don't really care what's going on. How many of you guys know that's a pretty powerful thing? Satan doesn't have to get you too far off the path if he can just get you not to care. Or apathy towards the church, eh, I don't really care about being a part of the church. I don't really care about being a part of the purposes of God. I don't really care about being with the people of God. I don't really care about serving. The... And, and if apathy sets in, Satan has done what he needs to do. So apathy is a very powerful thing, and that's why God warns those who are lukewarm. Here's what I want you to understand. Apathy in the Christian life is not normal, but it seems normal because most people are apathetic. Most people that you know are living at a lifestyle that seems like what normal Christianity is only because the majority are there. Now, I saw a video this week that really helped put this into perspective for me. There's one line I want you to catch as you watch this, but the reason why I believe we get to this place of apathy is because we're seeking more comfort and more convenience than we are the calling of God upon our life. And, and especially when you go into church world or church life or following Jesus life and you're seeking more comfort and convenience than you are calling, then what happens is it leads into apathy. So take a quick look at this video. When you stop to think about it, the past hundred years has seen a lot of new things. We've seen the electric stove, the zipper, the TV, the color TV, the high def TV, the 3D TV, AM radio, FM radio, satellite radio, electric guitar, the acoustic guitar, the acoustic electric guitar, the hair dryer, hair straightener, hairspray, hair implants, a ballpoint pen, the computer, the laptop computer, the iPad, the eight track cassette, CD, and MP3, you get the idea. All of this stuff, all of this advancement is meant to make our lives easier. For us, new is usually better. New is usually faster, cheaper, lighter, and more powerful. But when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, what's new for us these days? Yeah, we could say there's new formats, new translations, new books, new ways to read, new ways to express our worship, but is there anything really new? What if the new normal, the new way of doing things, has never changed in almost 2,000 years? What if instead of questioning everything we've been taught about scripture, we start believing what it says, believing what it commands, believing the God who is overall, believing our identity in Jesus? What if we chucked what the world and the status quo says about our lives and listened to the Bible? What if we held up our lives next to our maker and let him tell us what our life should look like? Think about it. Wouldn't it be great if the world saw us as different? different because our lives look more like Jesus? That normal for us meant not convenience, speed, or even comfort, but a radical dying to ourselves, with hearts that beat to a different drum, with eyes that look to something greater, with feet that stand firm in the truth of our God, with lives free from overwhelming stress and guilt, with souls that long for God's kingdom and long for God's glory. What if for too long the bar has been too low? What if God has only begun in what he will do in and through your life? Do you believe this? Do you want this? God does. Now, the line I want you to catch there is, what if the bar has been set too low? What, what if Satan has got us to believe that the bar that's, that's here for what it means to follow after Jesus and to be light in this world has been set so low that we think it's now normal. And if Satan can't get you with this apathy trap, 
it will lead to this next one. And the next one Jesus describes is this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. It says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, when I look at this, the kind of label I put on this is the trap of compromise. Because here's somebody who's following after God, but when it gets hard, kind of goes back and retreats back into a way that he shouldn't go. And the question is, why do we do that? Because following Jesus is the, is the most awesome thing that you could do when, you do, you know, when you're really following after Jesus. Why do we fall back into this? Well, I'm going to tell you a story that I read recently that's actually a true historical story. And unfortunately, it's true. And it's about a guy named Rudolph, and it's not the red-nosed reindeer guy, okay? It's a different guy named Rudolph. And he was a guy who was, um, he was a farmer. He was a devout Catholic. He had five kids. His kids loved him, his family. He's a family man. And uh, he was really uh, into farming. He started a farm, had a farm, and became really successful at farming. And it was mostly because of his administration skills. He could just really organize things really well. He had uh, a friend that was in government work that noticed this and needed uh, some spots filled and invited him to take some posts in the government because he was so good at administration and so good at organizing and all this type of stuff. And so he, he accepted. And, and he would ha- kind of had this routine where every single day he would have breakfast with his wife and kids. He would go out uh, to work on his way to work. He'd, he'd maybe sometimes take some time to stop and smell the flowers outside of his house because he was still into that. He would go to work in the government. He would have staff meetings, run a staff, make decisions, do all this type of stuff. And he, he just did really well. And so he kept moving up uh, in these posts until finally uh, the most important person in all the nation recognized uh, how good he was, how effective he was, how efficient he was. That person's name is Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler recognized how efficient he was, and so he put him over uh, this, the place called Auschwitz uh, to increase the efficiency of the killing at Auschwitz to 10,000 a day. And this was no problem for him because he was very good at what he did, and so he was very efficient, and it was no problem to do that. And, and the interesting thing is where he lived, outside of his bedroom window, he could see the place where he worked. And yet he still continued his routine every single day, have breakfast with his wife, his kids, go out, smell the flowers. He would come home. And when he came home, his kids loved him. And he would a lot of times bring gifts to them and stuff. And just an excellent uh, family man, wife, kids, all that type of stuff. And you ask the question, you have to ask the question, why is it that Rudolph could not see that there was a problem or a discrepancy between his home life and his mass murder life. <laughs> like, why could he not see that there was a contradiction? And the answer is, is simple, but the answer is because of compartmentalization. He was able to compartmentalize one part of his life and to be able to function and live in that world and then to separate it and then to go into another part of his life and live in that side of his life and able to keep the two apart in his mind. Now, that's one of the most extreme examples that we can think of, but yet how many of you guys recognize in your own life that it's easy to have compartments in our own life, isn't it? It's easy to have a certain, maybe it's a church life where on the weekend we, we are one way, but in our home life we're a different way, or maybe in our marriage we're one way, but then we have a secret life where we're another way. 
It's easy for us to compartmentalize, for us to compromise. And we try to do this because we're trying to manage risk in our life. See, what, we, what I believe we're trying to do is we're trying to diversify our portfolio, so to speak. And what we're trying to do is, well, if this part of my life falls, at least I'll still have this part of my life. If my work life goes, at least I'll still have my family life. Or if my, my career go, goes, I'll still have this. And so we try, but what happens is we create a new type of risk because we create a sacred life and a, a secret life. And we have these two that exist and eventually it's not going to be able to stand. See, that word integrity has to do with the whole. The actual word is, it has to do with the whole. And so let me put it this way, compartmental integrity is hypocrisy. And this is one of the traps of the enemy. This is what he tries to do. He tries to get you to go along to where you can create two different lives. And if he gets you to create two different lives, how many of you guys know one of the biggest complaints against people who follow after God is unfortunately hypocrisy, right? And it's because we've, we've gotten good, we've fallen into this trap of the enemy to have two separate lives. Dwayne Vanderklok puts it this way. He said, the devil doesn't need you to give him every area of your life. Just one is enough. Because usually what happens in the one is if he gets the one, it's enough to take control of what he needs to do. Now, how many of you guys were, remember last week we talked about the blood of Jesus, right? We talked about the power in the blood of Jesus. How many of you guys are so thankful for this truth? That the blood of Jesus is not just powerful enough for part of our sins, but it's powerful enough to cover all of our sins, amen? It's not, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough not just to save part of our life or one compartment of our life, but he's powerful enough to save all of our life, amen? See, and that's the truth that we have to understand. When Satan tries to come in through compromise, we have to remind him that the blood of Jesus is enough, not just for part, but for all. And if he can't get you with apathy, and if he can't get you with compromise, he's going to try with what I believe is his most effective tactic of all. All right, let's look at it. His most effective tactic of all, Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. It says, as for what is sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, the, the trap that I've labeled here is the trap of deception. Here it mentions deceitfulness of riches, but how many of you guys know that Satan's main trap is deception? He tries to deceive, he tries to twist, he tries to manipulate, he tries to lie. I had the awesome time of being able to go hunting with one of my daughters this past week. And as we were there, we were just sitting and I recorded a little something. And as I recorded it, I realized, man, there's a powerful truth in here. So I'm going to show you the video and then I'll reveal the powerful truth. Take a look. Okay, Katie and I are up here hunting and we almost died driving up here. It's about an hour and a half drive up here. Wrecks everywhere, snow, sleet, ice all sorts of stuff. We're drenched. She can't move. But the truth about this situation is if you're not out in the field hunting, you're not gonna see anything. So this is the second to the last day and this is our opportunity. So we're taking our opportunity and hopefully we're gonna come out with the biggest buck anyone in the world 
has ever seen. The world? The world. Anyone in the world has ever seen. Because we are the only ones out here. Everyone else. Everyone else. It's too bad. Too, too bad of conditions. But if you're not out in the field, you're not going to see anything. So that's why we're right here. Hopefully I'll come back with a video real quick of us skinning a deer. A skinning a deer. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're going to be skinning the deer that quick, but, <laughs> but with a deer, that's the plan. Here's the truth. If you're not in the right place or the right position or the right perspective, you're not going to see what you need to see. Now, what happened next is this 19-point buck came by. I'm totally kidding. It did not happen. But, uh, but th there is a powerful principle there. And without the right perspective, you're going to miss what you're supposed to see. And how many of you guys know that Satan loves to mess with our perspective? Oh, he loves to mess with what we're seeing. He loves to twist it and to deceive us. And he loves to mess with our perspective. Now, I told you that a couple weeks ago, uh, I actually was down with COVID-19. And the first few, you know, several days, it was like a really, really bad cold for me. And then I got better for a day. I'm like, okay, well, I made it through. And then a, a fever set in for me. And I, honestly, it was pretty rough going for me. And a fever set in and it kind of set in for a few days. And it kept getting increasing in temperature every single day until this one night where uh, I had a pretty high temperature and it wasn't coming down. And so we're trying everything to get it to come down. I've got medicine. I'm, I'm taking a cold shower and it's going up as I'm taking a shower instead of going down. Finally, I'm laying there and my wife Becca has packed me in ice. You know, I'm laying there in ice and trying to get this thing to come down. And, uh, and so I'm laying there, and, and all the while, throughout this whole process, I had people who had been texting me, people who had been sharing different things with me, you know, about the things that I, I could do, or, you know, somebody, you know, said, well, you know, your immune system, if you could just drink some bone broth, then your immune system would go up, and I had other people telling me all these other things about, you know, here's what God's going to do through this situation, you're going to learn this, you're going to do this, you're going to have all this stuff, and, and several good things, you know, great, great things, but as I'm laying there, uh, packed in ice, <laughs> trying to get this temperature to come down after days and days of this. Satan, how many of you guys know that Satan loves to twist things when you're down? He loves to use those times when you're tired, when you're worn out. And so I'm laying there and I had this thought, I think it's comical now, but I had this thought, this is what Job felt like. All of his friends are telling him all the things that he could have been done. And this is why you're here. You're in it because of this. And this is what's going to happen. I'm laying there and I'm thinking, if I would have just drank some more bone broth, I wouldn't be here. If I would have just, if I could just learn this lesson, I wouldn't be here. And, and I mean, you guys know, all those thoughts that I was having, I knew they were suspect thoughts. Have you ever had suspect thoughts that you're like, okay, this, something is not right about this, but Satan will love to twist anything he can when you're down. And I'm a pastor, you know, so I know that God doesn't put sickness on me. I know that God doesn't put sickness on me to teach me some sort of lesson. And yet in the most vulnerable moments, Satan loves to try to twist things and to turn things and to use things against you and to deceive you into to thinking wrong thoughts. How many of you guys are thankful for this scripture, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, it says this, For our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. 
and take every thought, every thought, not just some of them, but how many of you guys know you can take every thought captive to obey Christ? Here is what I'm saying. When Satan comes to try to deceive and to try to twist, here, here's, here's my challenge to you. Refuse to agree with Satan's agenda for your life. Do you know that God has a plan for you? How many of you guys believe God has a plan for you? He does. But I can tell you Satan also has a plan for you. And he is always going to be trying to put, to put that plan in your mind, to put that plan in your heart. And you as a believer in Jesus, you have to refuse to agree with Satan's agenda in your life. And yet so many of us end up replaying the agenda of Satan in our heart and in our life because we, we just think, well, you know, this must be what's going on. Now, I saw this clip uh, just at the very tail end of my preparation. I was like, I have to show this. I want you guys to get this concept of what's happening here because it's a powerful concept. And then we'll come and wrap up. So take a look at this. One of the books that I read said that you can picture neural pathways like taking a piece of cheese, a big chunk of cheese, and dropping a hot marble through it. And you can kind of picture how neural pathways work. And what I learned is that the more you think about something, the wider the neural pathway gets. You can, if you, you know, we're all like, most prophetic people are real visionary. So in other words, if I think something's going to go wrong, think about it like, I'm walking through this jungle and I walk down a path and I'm clearing the brush away. And next time you think that thought, it becomes a little wider and a little wider and a little wider until pretty soon it's a highway. And so every time you think a thought, it, it sounds like I'm misquoting this, but every time you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. Are you following me? And so these become neural pathways. And what we learned is that um, Donald Miller uh, taught us, he was here, he taught us that your, let me see if I can, I think I wrote it down. Your brain is wired to use the least amount of energy possible to come to a conclusion. Let me say that again. Your brain is wired to use the least amount of energy possible to come to a conclusion. So what happens when we, when we, when we uh, think, when we have a thought, is that thought travels on a highway. And, that, and just like you and I typically do, if I'm going to go to, to Costco, I'm going to go, most often, I'm going to take the shortest path. There's 50 ways I can get there in Reading, but I'm typically going to take the road that gets there the quickest. Your thoughts travel like that also. And again, the more you think about a thought, the wider the path becomes. Are you following me? So if you think uh, something's about to go wrong, and you know, your daughter's, in my first example, my daughter's late from school. Oh gosh, I wonder if she got kidnapped. I wonder, as I think those thoughts, I'm actually widening the path to think the thought again. And thus I think thoughts that actually eventually create a mindset. What is a mindset? It's freeways to certain ways of thinking. Okay, so what is happening when I don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? What does it actually mean to renew your mind organically? It means I'm building new neural pathways. That's a powerful concept, isn't it? It's a powerful concept. Some of us just think, I'm just a warrior, I'm just anxious. I'm just fearful. I just overthink. I just whatever. 
But what we're actually doing is we're making it easier for us to continue to think those thoughts and we're developing mindsets in our life. So again, this is where I say, refuse to make a decision in your life to refuse to agree with the enemy's agenda in your life. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up, but as they do, I'm gonna say some things that are, I believe are very, very, and here's really the whole crux of the message right here. Uh, what I'm about ready to say next is really what I want you to get. So, so please tune in. How many of you guys know that God knows everything, right? I mean, God knows everything. Theologically, we would call this omniscient or all-knowing. Uh, according to one commentary, they put it this way. Listen to this carefully. God fully knows himself and he knows all things actual. So everything that's actually happened or all things that are actual and all things that are possible in one simple and eternal act. So what is that saying? Okay, pay attention. God, God knows everything. He knows all things that exist and all things from our perspective, all things that will happen. From, from our perspective, we would say it this way, that God knows everything that's happened in the past, that God knows everything that's happening right now, and that God knows everything that will happen from our perspective in our future. The Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning because God knows all things. The Bible says that there is no creature that is hidden from God's sight. There's no animal, there's no insect. Think about how amazing that is, that God knows, that God knows where everything is at on the planet right now. Because God is all-knowing. God knows our future. God knows the tiny details of our lives. God knows what we need even before we ask it. God knows the number of hairs on our head. God knows every single thing. The Bible says that God knows even the words we are going to say before we say them. God knows what we need before we ask. God knows even our days uh, of our life, even before we are born. The Bible says that they are written in his book, that he knows them even before we even existed. God not only knows what has happened, what is happening and what will happen, but God also knows all things that are possible that could have happened. Think about this for just a second. David in scripture, he asked God a question, what would have happened if certain scenarios had played out? So God even knows what could have happened even if it didn't actually happen. Jesus said that Tyre and Sidon would have repented if they would have seen his miracles, but yet they did not. So God even knows what would happen if you would have done certain things. This is, this is crazy. How? God, because God knows himself fully, and God knows everything, not only that he has done or capable of doing, but everything he could do if he wanted to do it. How? Because God fully knows himself. There are thousands and thousands of possibilities and variations of things God could do, and God knows them all. There, now think about this. I, I believe this, that, that God not only knows every single creature that he created, every single insect, every single animal, but I believe that God knows every single variation of something that he could have created. <sighs> because God knows everything. He knows this completely. He knows the number of grains of sand on the seashore. He knows the number of stars in the sky. God doesn't have to calculate them up or compute them like a computer because he already knows them because he's all-knowing. If God's knowledge were to increase in any way, he wouldn't be all-knowing. God's knowledge never grows or he never learns anything. He never has to come to conclusions because he knows everything. All things are fully present to him at once. 
in one eternal act, he knew everything that was to be known from start to finish. Everything that needs to be known. If he were to ever learn something new, he wouldn't be all-knowing. And so God does all of these things. He knows everything he has done, everything he would do, and everything he could do in one simple eternal act. Is anybody getting the point today, okay? Because I'm tired now. (laughs) And I say all of that to say this. That yes, I believe God interacts with us for who we are now and he disciplines us and he calls us to repentance, but I also believe this, that God can and does interact with you and I through his perfect will for our lives. Because God knows exactly who we would be if we had followed every single part of his perfect will for our life. And God will interact with you through that lens. And your job is to hear from heaven what that looks like and to begin to agree with heaven. Your job is to find out what those thoughts or what God's thoughts are towards you and to replay them over and over and over in your mind so that it becomes a highway in your mind. So you replay those thoughts that God has towards you when God interacts with you as if you had followed his perfect will for your life and to replay them over and over and over until it becomes a highway in your mind so that it's hard for you to think thoughts that God doesn't think towards you. So that when Satan comes to try to deceive and to try to to bring harm to your life, you, you can recognize that's not on the highway of God in my heart. That's not on the highway of God in my mind. Is anybody getting this today? Because this is, this all of these other things. Matt, Matt, let's wrap it up here. Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. As for what is sown on good soil, which I hope this is some good soil today. This is the one who hears the word that you've heard the word of God today, that you understand it, that it indeed bears fruit. It's going to yield fruit. And in one case, a hundredfold, another 60 and another 30. You see, when we do this, and as I was preparing all week, I just heard this phrase, fix your eyes on Jesus. When we begin to fix our eyes on Jesus, all of these other things have to bow to the Lordship of Jesus. Apathy has to bow. Compromise has to bow. Deception has to bow to the name of Jesus. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to worship? Can we allow Jesus to work on our heart just a little bit? Holy Spirit, come and work on our heart just a little bit. Here's what I believe. I believe some of you are not fully even understanding the depths at which the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now. You haven't fully processed at the deep level what, and three days from now, all of a sudden, you're gonna have an aha moment, like, revelation is just gonna be peeled back, and you're gonna see these revelations of what God has implanted in your heart right now. You're gonna begin to see the hundredfold, the 60, the 30. You're gonna be seeing it in your life. But right now, can we just fix our eyes? You might just even close your eyes to be able to put your full attention. Fix your eyes on Jesus right now. Lord, we... We know all these things has to bow. Apathy has to bow. Compromise has to bow. Deception has to bow. If you recognize any of these areas happening in your life, come on, submit it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ right now. Begin to understand that God knows all things. He does know exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what you'll do tomorrow. He knows if you'll mess up or make a mistake. And yet he loves you fully and completely right now with his unending love. 
And so, Lord, we fix our eyes on you right now and we create a pathway in our mind and in our thoughts. Lord, let it be a highway of God's thoughts in our life, of God's purpose in our life, that we wouldn't be thinking about our history, but we'd be thinking about our destiny, that we'd be thinking about what you have for our life. Lord, we declare that in our heart, in our mind, in our life, in our thought life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship one more time.